I was so nervous. Uncertainty, anxiety, a whole new responsibility waiting for me. It was December 12, 2000, the birth of my first child, my first son, Caden. I remember pacing the halls, wandering aimlessly. The birth of a child is a, it's a magical, supernatural thing. It's where the divine and the sublime intersect. And it was amazing. And as I paced the halls, and as I wondered aloud, suddenly everything changed. It changed radically. It changed completely. For here was my son. As I held him in my arms, I was struck by the weight of the responsibility to be a dad, to be a father. This eternal being was in my hands, literally. Then a few years later, May 25th, 2003, I'm a father again. Gavin shows up. As soon as I held him in my arms, I looked at him and said, you're my joy boy. You're going to be a party guy. To this day, Gavin is a frat boy in search of a fraternity. He just... But again, I thought, fatherhood, this is another life that I have to lead, another life I have to love, another life I have to provide for and care for. July 23rd, 2004, again, a dad. Yeah, even then, Owen was really cool. I remember thinking, as I am as a father, so goes he as a man, the weight of fatherhood. But there they were, the three of them, these wild, rambunctious, wide-eyed, innocent, destructive, chaotic, mayhem-loving, mulch-eating little dudes, eternal beings that I had to be a dad, had to be a father. And I thought that was it, but then December 15th, 2009, Along came Easton. And then my wife said, that's it. We're done. There will be no more photos. And we were complete as a family. We were a whole as a family. There's something really good about completion. There's something really powerful about completion. Maybe you were listening earlier during the Advent reading, and we read from Matthew 1, and you heard talk from Isaiah about peace and the peace of God and the prince of peace. Peace is an interesting word because peace in our everyday English language, the, the easy definition and the super, superficial definition is the absence of conflict. And, and, and I suppose all peace should be an absence of conflict, but the Bible has a much larger concept of the word peace. It's not just the absence of conflict, it's the presence of completion. It means to be complete, to be whole, to live a full life, to, to live without gaps. Can you imagine to live life without gaps, to live life full, to feel soul whole right there? We've been talking about Noel. The peace of God is, is 
a dimension of Noel. Noel means new birth, and new birth, it, it, it's really talking about in Christmas the new birth of Christ, but not just the new birth of, of the Messiah, but new birth that is now possible for each one of you and each, each person. We can experience new birth because of the new birth of Jesus. And so when we celebrate Christmas, we're celebrating God's new, and God's new for you, and God's new for me, and a part of that new is peace. A dimension of God's new for us is to be whole, to be complete, for God to fill the gaps. Now, when we talk about peace, and we talk about completion, we talk about being a whole person, having a whole soul, many times we'll resort to professionals, whether it's a psychologist or a counselor, and they'll tell you to recline on their couch, and then they'll ask you a question. Tell me about your childhood. There's something about our childhood that's connected to how whole we are. You see, because so much of who you are called to be and designed to be is stitched together and forged together on the loom of parental love. Parental love, and in our childhood, those early stages, something happens developmentally, chemically, psychologically, mentally, spiritually. Something happens in those early days. It's, your, it's a birth, but it's followed up by a recognition of life and love and a God beyond who calls us higher. This peace that we're talking about. But no matter how your childhood went, whether you had the greatest of families or the worst of families, we all have hope in 1 John 3.1. Because 1 John 3.1 makes clear, Noel, the story of amazing love is alive and well. It's not done. It's not a historic observance. It's a personal daily reality. 1 John 3.1 says, See... What amazing love the Father has given us because of this incredible gift. We can be the children of God. And that's what we are. You really, really are. Look at the language. That's what you really are. You're the children of God because you've been given a gift. Fathers give you gifts. Fathers give the gift that only a father can give. Just like a mother gives, only the gift a mother can give. Last week we looked at the, the gift that a mother gives as we looked at Mary's life. We looked at the blessing and the favor on Mary. We looked what, it, it, that her story wasn't just her story, it becomes our story. And even when you behold a nativity, I understand when you, when you circle around a, the birth of a child, center stage is the baby, right? And then after that, it's close second in the mom. We, I've had four children. Been in the hospital four times. I've only got one picture of me in a hospital with one of my children. Dads aren't the focus in the birthing moment. We play a very small role. Try to hold it together. And when we looked at the nativity scene, we see what we would expect to see. All uh, the glory of the obedience of Mary. Uh, the wonder in the, in the song of the angels. The zeal of the shepherds, the gifts of the magi, we see all of it unfold in the nativity. We see all the usual suspects taking their place as they should. Even the cattle and the sheep find their way into the story of the nativity. Even cattle and sheep find their way into holiday song. But I want to ask you, 
What about Joseph? What about the gift a father gives? What about the love of Joseph? See, Joseph up until this point has been a behind-the-scenes facilitator. But he's about to take a step forward and become a prominent role in the unfolding of the story, the amazing story, the story of amazing love in Jesus. Joseph steps forward, and the first scene that he's asked to play is that in Matthew 1.20, where he's notified your soon-to-be wife is expecting, but the child is not yours. And in Matthew 1.20, as we read earlier for our Advent reading, he, he's struggling with a choice, and the choice is either quietly, respectfully, divorce Mary, knowing that she's expecting, and it's not his child. But an angel comes and, and tells him, that which has conceived in Mary is of the Holy Spirit. So we find in Matthew 1, 20, Joseph, his first lines are to decide whether he will accept and adopt a child he knows is not his. This is no small matter. Joseph, we have to understand who Joseph is in the community. He's a descendant of King David. He's part of the holy lineage of Israel. That's who he is. So we have to, when we understand this, we understand that if Joseph was to say no to accepting Jesus, if he was to say no to adopting Jesus, Jesus would then be void of everything Joseph had to bring to the table. Without Joseph, Jesus didn't have kingly authority. Without Joseph, Jesus didn't have right to the lineage of David. Without Joseph, he wouldn't be called the Holy One of Israel, the Chosen of God, the Messiah. That happened because of Joseph. Jesus found his purity in Mary, void of man. But Jesus found his authority in Joseph, the lineage of the Messiah. And Joseph accepted can you imagine being Joseph holding this baby in your arms and realizing and a full appreciation that what I'm holding is God in the flesh? And I've been tasked and assigned and commissioned by God to raise this baby, to become everything he's supposed to be. What an assignment Joseph has. What an amazing response he has. It's amazing the adoption that we have. Why are we talking about Joseph? Understand, we're, when we talk about Joseph, we're not just talking about, and we are, we're talking about Joseph and his relationship to the son Jesus. But in the story of Joseph, we see not just Joseph fathering Jesus, we see how God the Father wants to father us. And simultaneously, in the same story, we not only see how the Father wants to father us, but in Jesus' response to Joseph, we see how we're to live in response to the Father. This is deep when you consider the story of Joseph. Because he accepted and took all of the legacy, all of the inheritance, all of the, the, the improvements and benefits, and assigned them to somebody that wasn't his own and didn't technically deserve it. And how much more are we of the fathers 
that have been adopted, called one of his own, inherited not by virtue of our own merits and how we performed and how we measured up, but simply the choice of the father to say, that's my son, that's my daughter. Enter into my inheritance where you can find completion, where you can find wholeness of soul. I don't know about you, many times I I find myself in those moments where I struggle with God's inheritance. I struggle with the completion. I struggle to be a full benefactor of the promises of God. And as a child, if you wanted to find me as a child, you'd find me many days uh, in my backyard at my sandbox. This is not an exact replica, but it's set up pretty, pretty similar. We had because we were, I, I would play nearly every day with my next door neighbor, Chris LeBlanc. And Chris LeBlanc, uh, he lived a magical life. He had every Star Wars character you can possibly imagine. Everything. And when a new character came out, his parents would get him the new character. And I didn't have any of these characters. We got Han Solo. We got Obi-Wan. And we would play in the sandbox, and I, I wanted so badly to have one of the, he, I had the sandbox, a pile of dirt. He had all the Star Wars characters. I so badly wanted one. Just wanted one. But at that time, we weren't a family that could afford a $3 action figure. And even now I reflect and I think, how is that possible? How does a family not have enough to get a $3 action figure? But that's, that was my family. That's where I grew up. We thought Steakum was a meat group. We thought Vienna sausage was a, was a meat product. Government cheese. I thought potatoes came in a plastic bag. I didn't know that that was government issued. You add water to instant potatoes. I didn't know it was a vegetable. So, so we grew up in this place, and so I didn't know my father as provider. I didn't know my natural father as provider. I didn't know him as teacher. I didn't know him as mentor. I didn't know him as caregiver. I didn't know him at all. I never met him. I never met my father, and so I couldn't know him as provider. And I remember thinking in that moment, I'm missing out on something. Here's Chris. He's spoiled. Look at all the characters he gets, and I don't get one. So I made a decision. I'm not proud of it. Please don't judge me. But I hid one in the sand on the side. I remember right where it was, pinned up against the side. When Chris went to collect his figures and go home, he couldn't find Chewbacca. I remember it was Chewbacca. I remember thinking, now I've got it. And sometimes you just got to get it for yourself. Because you don't always have someone there to help you get it. Like a dad should. I reflect now and and I think about... That was the first moment for me. That's the first moment I stepped out and said, there's some, I realize there's something I don't have access to. There's something that I'm not getting. There's something that uh, I don't have it. But I didn't know what it was. See, when you don't have one of those, if, you're, if your soul is fragmented, if there's something that you're missing early on, you don't always know what you missed. You're just missing it, and you don't even know what it is. But it, it eats at you that you don't have it, even though you don't know what it is. And you spend your life pursuing it, manipulating for it, stealing it, trying to grab it, 
and you end up, you're getting the wrong it, and you're getting it the wrong way. See, when you're, when, when you're incomplete, you don't have peace. When you're not whole, there's, there's no peace. And when you're not whole, there's lots of pieces. And what do you do when you're, when you're fragmented? What do you do when you're broken? What do you do when there's just lots of pieces? You just try to, to sort your pieces and do the best you can with it. And I found myself in that place just trying to make a way, trying to get what it is. It's amazing how we will loop back to our childhood. You know, maybe, maybe that hasn't been your experience. Maybe you have a, a, a father, maybe a great family, maybe a loving home. But we're really not talking about natural fathers here. Because even if you had a great family and a great father at home, there is a gap and there are missing pieces and there is an incompletion because the peace of God only comes from the Father. It's the gift of his love. It's what he's able to do. And you might find yourself, like me, going back to the sandbox. You so desperately want it. You so badly deserve it. But you don't even know what it is. And you're trying to grab it. And it just leads to more brokenness. Leads to detours. Leads to frustration. Leads to emptiness. See, if, if you're one of those who doesn't know God is a good father, if you're one of those who maybe doesn't know that God isn't done with you yet. Maybe you don't know that God has a great destiny. Maybe, maybe you're one of those. If you're one of those who, who feels like your past is robbing you from your future and from your destiny, you're like me, just playing in the, we're just playing at peace. We're not living a full life. We're just playing at trying to, to fill the cracks and fill the void, and, but we're not living whole and complete. You're like I was, just playing at peace. But that's what the story of Joseph is all about. The story of Joseph, Joseph is how God fathers us. It's how he fathers us. It also teaches us, it's, it's how we respond to the Father. And what's amazing, I want to share with you and, and just teach you something very briefly this morning. Are you, are you okay? You good? I'm moving around. It's a very somber, serious presentation situation. But everybody's tracking nicely. Because the father didn't just call Joseph, the father gave him instructions, which reveal to us how the father fathers us. And it comes in the form of three dreams. Joseph has three dreams, and in those dreams we see how the father wants to be a father to us. And in the same three dreams, we see Jesus' response and how we're to respond. This is for everybody. And the first dream was about identity. First dream is identity, and, and God gave Joseph a dream and said in it, in Matthew 21, he said, you're to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Joseph's first dream was about Jesus' identity. God the Father said, Joseph, if you're going to be a good dad, you're going to have to give identity to Jesus. So I'm going to let you in on a secret. His name is Jesus because he's going to say, this is who he is. Speak identity in his life. 
And Joseph began to speak identity. See, that's the first thing I did when I had my first son. I, I looked at him and said, you're a champion. You're my son. Everything I have will be yours. And then you have your second child and your third child. And your fourth. But I remember with Caden, the first, the first, we struggled to name him. We didn't know all the pressure to name a child, right? I wish I had an angelic. Some of you have come in like, the Lord told me to name my, the Lord never told me to name him Caden. But I, but I felt, we, we talked about it for three days. We brought him home from the hospital. He didn't have a name yet. And they called us. They're like, you got to give that baby a name because he didn't have a social security card. They thought we were going to sell him. It's like, he wasn't a real person yet. They didn't fill out the paperwork, and we didn't know his name. And we said, we said, we love the the name Kalen, and we love the name Aiden because one meant pure and holy, and the other one meant fire. And we said, let's just combine them, Kaden, pure and holy fire. He's going to be a standard bearer. He's going to know who he is. He's going to have strength in his life. He's going to lead others, and he's going to have this strength of leadership to not back down, but this empathy for people that doesn't let you go while he doesn't back down. We just speak that over them. Speak over our kids every night. You're a champion. You're a world changer. You know, it's not hyperbole. Just tell them who they are. They, I used to drop them off at school, and as they'd walk away, I'd say, walk those halls like you own it. And they knew what I meant. Walk with confidence. God is with you. Walk with confidence. Your father believes in you. Their identity, the job of every parent is to communicate identity. That's what God, your Father, is saying to you today. He knows you, and he knows who you are. And he has a lot to say about your identity. The first thing he says, you're not a mistake. He says, you're not a disappointment. He says, you're not a failure. You need to hear it. You need to understand it. He says, you're special. You're loved. You're valued. You're complete in me. That's who you are. He says, your identity is not in your job. Your identity is not in your relational status. Your identity is not in your degrees. Your identity is not in your track record. Your, your identity is not in the worst moment, and your identity is not in your best performance. Your identity, it's in him that you live and move and have your being. He's your all in all, and he gives you identity. So it doesn't matter what the world has said, right? It doesn't matter whether you had a good father, or a good mentor, or a good employer, or a good partner. Say, oh, I didn't have a good partner. I got sabotage. Well, maybe you did. Good thing your identity is not dependent on that. Well, I, I got railroaded and it was unjust and, and you, you don't know what I've lived. You're right, I don't know. Good thing your identity is not based on that. Your identity is in something else. God the Father. He says, you're significant. He says, you're valued. He says, you're special. He says, he loves you. But it's not just about identity. That was the first dream. Then came the second dream. And in the second dream, God communicates to Joseph, security is a big deal. You've got to help him with his identity, but you also have to help him with security. Matthew 2.13, he has a dream, and he's told in the dream, Joseph, take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Because there's people who want to do him harm. And he takes him and, and, and takes him to a place of protection, place him, takes him to a place of safety takes them to a place of security. Children need to know that they're safe and secure. Many of us never had that. Many of you never had the luxury of feeling safe and secure in your own home. God is saying to you today, I love you. You're safe with me. I love you. You're safe with me. 
I love you. You can trust my plan and purpose. I don't ever remember one of my kids coming home to our, ho- to our house, opening the door, and before they go in, turning around and looking hesitantly at me and saying, Dad, is it safe to go inside? No. They come home, boom, the door flies open. They don't even close it. I have to put auto locks and everything. So it just auto locks and, and, you know, come in. And they never go to the fridge and go, wow, man, what a spread. Dad, you sure, you sure this is okay if I have some of this? <laughs> Three teenage boys just going at it, just eating it, right? Why? They feel secure. They feel safe. Am I safe here? Your security is not found in your bank account. Come on. Your security is not found in the economy. Your security is not found in your political ideology. Your security isn't found in that, that knee-jerk reaction that we all have to find self-protection through isolation. We say, oh, I'll just isolate. Then I'll be safe. I, I, just won't, I just won't even take any chances. Then I'll be safe. No, you're looking for the wrong it in the wrong way. And it's going to lead to further brokenness and emptiness. Your father... The, that's God's promise to you. You'll be safe with him. Right? You'll be safe with him. Here, here's what the truth is. And I'm going to maybe ask for four minutes, five minutes. Is five minutes okay? All right. Bear in my soul. Give me a second. But uh, what was I saying? Um, I don't know. Oh, he's a good father. He's a good father. And a good father places you in a good family. You know, the Bible refers to the church as a city set on a hill. It it refers to it as a city within a city. You might not feel safe in your family, but you can feel safe in this family. You might not feel safe in your part of the city. You can feel safe in this family right here. He's a good God. He's a good father, and he places you in a good family. It's a safe place. It's a community where there's love and encouragement and support. Security is important. And then the third dream takes us a little bit further. It's about destiny. Matthew 2.20. He has a third dream. Joseph, get up, take the child and his mother and go to the land of Israel. He says, I want you to return from Egypt. The threat is gone, so now you can take your son back to Israel. Why Israel, of all places? Well, because Israel is where Jesus starts his ministry. Israel is where he was called first to preach to the lost sheep of Israel and then all the rest of the world. So his destiny lies, it all starts by him hitting Israel. And his father positions him, take him back to the, take him to the place where his destiny begins. A father had to connect his son to his destiny, just like we do with our children. You know, we see potential in our kids, and we want to get them to the, to the starting point of their destiny. Hopefully, hopefully, you know that's Heather in my heart, just as a mom and dad in this church. We want to get you to your starting place of your destiny. And, and I feel about that the way I feel about my kids. I've seen different things in my kids where you just notice. You just say, man, there's a future. Man, you, I, I just saw TJ in the green room a few minutes ago. I said, TJ, how you doing? TJ, if you know TJ, his smile. It just fills the room. And he just smiled at me, and I thought, man, what a gift. I feel better about life right now because TJ just smiled at me. And I said to him, I said, TJ, you still changing our church one smile at a time? He goes, yes. (laughs) See, there's, 
there's something inside of you. I looked at my sons early on. You could see these little things inside of them. I saw that strength that I talked about in Caden. Uh, uh, Gavin, his name is, means white falcon. And everyone's like, well, what's white falcon mean? I said, well, white means that, you know, he's not going to have any, any mixture in him. And he's a falcon, so he can see what nobody else can see, and he can get to things nobody else can get to. And, and I watched him start to live at an early age. He's just started, he had this, he always had cash in his pocket. Like when your toddler has cash in his pocket, you have to ask questions. Gavin, where did you get that money? Uh, I, I got it at church. Where? People gave it to me. What did you ask? He just, he just always had money. And then w- we, we lived near a golf course, so he started finding golf balls, and he would clean them. And then he set up a little stand where the, where the golf carts would cross, and he had all his golf balls, and he'd sell his used golf balls. And then he went to his mom and said, I need some Gatorade. They're asking for Gatorade out here. And these old dudes would come by, and he'd just be out there, hey, man, 10 bucks for a Gatorade. <laughs> They'd pay it. He'd come back. One time we found a set of keys under his bed when he was a toddler. He's a toddler. He doesn't drive. There's a set of car keys under his bed. And we said, where'd you get these keys? He said, I got them at church. (sighs) Where'd you find them? They were in somebody's purse. (laughs) Took somebody's keys. On the key ring, Seriously, on the key ring, there was one of those parking passes for one of the congressional office, office parking garages. He swiped some congressional parking pass. And, you know, he just, he has this entrepreneurial spirit in this gift. You, you think I'm joking. In our house, we're all like, yeah, someday we'll all work for Gavin. Owen, I look at Owen, he loves kids. He's so tender with kids. He instantly connects with kids. He's got this audiographic memory. When he was four years old, he wrote his first worship song. And I remember the chorus. I won't sing it because I'll start to cry. He wrote his first worship song when he was four, and I didn't realize he, he would hear a song, and, and months later, six, seven months later, he'd recite the song back to me, having only heard it once. I said, wow, there's gifts. There's a starting place for your destiny. Do you know, that's what your father speaks over you. He sees you. And he's not surprised by you because he designed you. He designed you and he made you and he formed you and he fashioned you because he has a destiny for you. You see those things. God is saying you have destiny on your life, Philippians 3.2. That's why Paul said, I press on towards the goal to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. There's something in front of you to take hold of. I'll tell you how to find it in a second. That's what we want. We want God the Father to lead us. Just lead me. Just lead me. Fill those gaps. Let's let's work with those voids and those holes. But how do we get there? How do we move on from the sandbox? And there's a way way to do it, and I'll give it to you very quickly. You ready? Just three things. This is Jesus' response. We we did Joseph's, how, how Joseph responded as the Father instructed him. But listen how Jesus responded. First thing, Jesus believed what his Father said. I know it sounds simple, but Jesus believed what his father said. Matthew 3, the, the heavens open. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Sooner or later, you have to believe what God says. Sooner or later, you have to accept that God is well pleased with you. 
Sooner or later, you just have to accept that it's not based upon your religious performance. It's based on Jesus being the perfect Son of God and living and dying on the cross and rising on the third day. He's pleased with you. Sooner or later, we have to believe what God says. Believe that you're adopted. Believe that you're approved. Believe that you're accepted. Believe that you can walk complete, full, How can I be a dad when I never saw it done? Am I doing it right? Am I dadding right? I don't know. I know. I watched the example of the father as given to Joseph. How do I become the son, the responsive daughter to a good father when my father wasn't good? Maybe your family life was great, but you find yourself, how do I do this? Believe what the father says. He's pleased. You can be complete. Not what the critics say, not what the world says, not what your workplace says. God, no. Not what your workplace, what God says. Number two, Jesus believed what other believers said. He believed what other believers said. This is important because Luke 2, 32, it says that Jesus is at Citizen Kids at church. He's just a He's just a child. And it says a prophet named Simeon comes in and prophesies over Jesus. And in verse 27, he, or verse 32, he says this over Jesus. A light for revelation to the Gentiles and a glory of your people Israel. You're, you're not going to have a niche. It's you, all the people of Israel and all the Gentiles. You're going to reach the world. You're going to change the world, Jesus. And Jesus believes Simeon. And it says in verse 33, his parents were amazed. Mary and Joseph were amazed at these words. And can you just imagine Mary and Joseph rehearsing those words to Jesus Your name is Jesus because you're going to save the world. In fact, I remember when the prophet Simeon came in and he said about you that you're going to be a light to the Gentiles. You're going to reach your own people. See, on a Sunday, you'll hear something. You'll hear encouraging things from somebody like me at a church like this. On a Sunday, you'll hear somebody saying, God's not done with you yet. You'll hear people saying, God's got something for you, and what's behind you, what's in front of you is better than what's behind you. Matter of fact, what's in front of you is going to make what's behind you look like a footnote. It's going to make it look like a small bump on the, a small blip on the radar. You're going to hear people say that. At some point, you're going to have to believe what other believers say. Can I just tell you, I wouldn't believe, I wouldn't be here, I wouldn't be here if I hadn't believed what other believers said. Because Believers were telling me about me before I knew even how to hear God. They were saying, hey, Michael, you have a future. You have a hope. I remember my mom coming in. My mom would get up early and pray, and she'd come in, and I was just running. I was just running. Because you have so many emotions. I mean, if there's no dad there, you're processing all these feelings. I felt abandoned. I felt unloved. I felt rejected. I felt angry. Feeling all these feelings. And what do you do in that moment? You just say, well, God, I'm just going to get it on my own. My mom would come in and she'd say, Michael, I was just spending time with the Lord. I'm like, right. It's not even possible, Mom. She was an intercessor. She'd pray and pray and pray. She'd go, well, I got great news for you. God told me that you're going to speak in front of people about him. And that you're going you're gonna to speak before crowds and thousands. It's funny because, you know, you just go, she's, she's speaking 
faith into my life, and I don't even realize it's getting into me. Don't even realize it. Believe what other believers say. And then the third thing, Jesus believed what the Scripture said. Got to believe what the Bible says. Now imagine Joseph, poor Joseph over here. His job is to teach Jesus how to read the Bible. Now, some of you already have gotten the punchline. Because Jesus was before time was. He's eternality. And it says he's the Lamb of God that was slain before the foundation of the world. Before the foundation of the world, Jesus was. And it says that he is the Word made flesh. And so Jesus, who always was, becomes the Word made flesh. And now Joseph has to teach the Word that always was, that has now become flesh, how to read the Word. No pressure, Joseph. But he did it. How do I know? Luke 24. Because in Luke 24, we, we know Joseph accomplished his task, and Jesus responded by believing the Scripture. Because it says in Luke 24 that he's walking down the road. Jesus is walking down the road after the resurrection. And two disciples join him. And the disciples don't recognize Jesus. Their eyes are blinded to the fact that they're walking with Jesus. And these two disciples are so confused. Why did my life turn out this way? Why haven't we been hit with the, the humps and bumps of unexpected, like this is just chaos. I thought Jesus was the one. I thought she or he was the one. I thought the job was the one. I thought the, the position that God gave me, I thought that was the one. And the disciples are very dis, disillusioned. And they said, can you tell us who this Jesus is? They're asking Jesus to tell them who he is. Listen, the world is listening and waiting for you to know who you are. They ask him, and this is his response in verse 27, and beginning with Moses and all the prophets, that's Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, the whole Pentateuch, and then into the prophets, Jesus explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. He knew every verse about who he was. He had every, every encouragement, every verse, every scripture that God spoke. Do you know what the Bible says about you? Do you know the Bible talks about your identity? The Bible talks about your security? The Bible talks about your destiny? You can find it. Can I just tell you, if you're going to make a journey from, from the orphan's sandbox where you don't know what it is, but you're just trying to find it, if you, make a, if you want to make a journey from there to the sonship and the daughter of being a child of God, at some point you're going to have to read what God says about you some point, you just got to read what he says about you. As a matter of fact, we'll read one right now, and we'll end right here where we began. 1 John 3, 1. Get this in your heart. See what amazing love the Father has given you. Because of it, you're called children of God, and that's what you really are. Can I tell you today? That's what you really are. You're a child of God. That's what you are. You're the loved of the Father. That's what you are. You're more than a conqueror. That's what you are. You're the temple of the Holy Spirit. That's what you are. You're, you're one who has the peace of God that transcends all understanding. That's who you are. You're the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. That's who you are. Come on, you are edified and built up and established in your faith. That's who you are. You're healed by His stripes. That's who you are. You're loved. 
You're, there's an identity and a security and a destiny that you find in the name of Jesus. And I want you just to stand to your feet. We're just going to take an extra minute. We're going to sing this chorus right now because you're a child of God. The Bible says, he who the sun sets free is free indeed. Come on, do you understand that there's something about your life and something about my life? The Bible says that you're chosen. You're not forsaken. He's for you. He's not against you. There's a place for you at your father's house where you can leave behind the gaps and, and the missing strands and fibers of yesteryear and walk into his completion. Come on, let's sing it together. Joseph, it teaches us so much. And we don't hear much more after that from Joseph. We don't really know where, what happened. But we're all the reverberations and the echoes of his obedience to respond to the Father. So my question for you today is, what about you? Would you just close your eyes?
I want to pray for you, just two groups of people today. You're here today, and you just need to respond to this because you know there's gaps. You know there's, there's a lack of peace. There's lots of pieces, just no peace. So that's for you. Just flip your hand up in the air real quick. Father, we pray. You see every hand in this room. You know every story. God, we thank you that the promise of Christmas is not jingle bells. The promise of Christmas is more than holiday cheer. It's a durable peace that passes understanding. It's a wholeness. It's to live a full life, to live well, to live whole in our soul. God, we pray that you would show up as Abba Father, the intimate one, the one who knows your sons and daughters, loves them, stands with them, urges them forward in their identity, assures them of their security, and unveils to them the destiny that you have for them. Father, we thank you for it. The second group, with every eye closed, second group of people I want to pray for as I'm going to dismiss. We're going to sing the song on the way out. You're going to be good to go. Every eye closed. You're here today. And if you'd be honest, if you were to be really honest, you say, man, I haven't, been a good, I haven't been a good son or daughter. I haven't responded well to the love of the Father, this amazing love given to us. What I really am is a child of God, but I've been living like I'm in charge or I'm in control or like I owe the account. The good news is that Jesus satisfied. The account has been paid in full. And I want to give you an opportunity right now. I'm going to count to three. And when I hit three, I'm going to invite you just to lift your hand. By lifting your hand, you're not joining a church, but you're saying, Pastor, include me in that prayer of dedication. You're saying, God, I need you in my life. Although it's contrary to everything I think and feel, your word says that I'm accepted and that I'm adopted and that I'm approved of you. I'm going to pray a general prayer just here in a moment. Many of you are going to raise your hands. Are you ready? One, don't wait. Today's your day. To do Two, Jesus loves you right where you are, but he loves you too much to let you stay where you are. I'm not going to call you out of your seat or embarrass you. I'm just going to pray with a general prayer over this whole room. Are you ready? One, two, three, hands in the air. Thank you. Thank you. Just wave at me. Say, yeah, include me in that. Thank you. Thank you. It might be the first time you've ever prayed this. It might be a moment of recommitment because if you're truly honest, you say, man, I, I want the Father's love. And I'm going to respond. Praise God. Hands. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Anybody else say, yeah, that's me. That's me. We'll wait just a minute for you. Anybody else? Praise God. You can put your hands down. Maybe you didn't feel comfortable raising your hand, but you're going to pray this prayer just the same. Dear Jesus, I give you my life because you first gave me yours. I love you, Jesus, because you first loved me. So I give all that I am, all that I hope to be, all that I used to be. I put it in your hands. Thank you that you love me, that you have a plan for me. I want to be a good son a good daughter. Now say this boldly. I'm a Christian. By grace I've been saved. In Jesus' name. Come on, can we celebrate with those who just prayed that prayer?